Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. There was a lot of ska records released in 1997. We would like to shift our focus to one of the lesser known, but absolutely better releases from that year. It's an album called All the Kids Agree by Animal Chin, a three-piece ska-punk band from Minneapolis. And to be fair, ska-punk doesn't seem like a fair descriptor for the group. There are elements of ska and punk, but it's mixed with various shades of 90s alternative rock. And lead singer and guitarist Jamie Wolford could sing like an angel, and his approach to songwriting was always unique. All the Kids Agree has been a critical album for several non-ska musicians like Patrick Stump from Fallout Boy and Jeff Rosenstock. Today we bring on Jamie to talk about this incredible record, its legacy, and we also touch on some of his other projects like The Stereo, the non-ska band he did with Rory Phillips from The Impossibles. Animal Chin is definitely like top 3 90s ska bands for me i mean a lot of people point to bands like like less than jake or goldfinger as the bands they they listened to in that time period for me it was like animal chin siren six and mu330 definitely yeah all midwest bands uh interestingly enough right yeah i i'm not sure why i gravitated towards those bands but they just seem to have a certain cool to their ska and it seemed like while they were very much all ska bands they had varied influences that made them more interesting to me than just a traditional ska punk band yeah i've definitely noticed that a lot of the midwest ska bands in the 90s were almost more adventurous in a way where it was like whatever they just kind of scrapped the ska playbook you know that came before them and they just moved forward with their own set of rules, much more than like bands on the coast seem to do. The one thing I noticed during this talk we had with Jamie is that I feel like Jamie is still holding on to a lot of ska shame and ska guilt. After having this talk with us, I'm hoping Jamie can let that go and embrace ska. We interviewed Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy, and uh, he's a big fan of you. Heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, I'm a big fan of him. He is a sweet, sweet man. And so, the story of um, why we interviewed him, interviewed him was that we interviewed Brian Diaz from Edna's Goldfish. Also heard of him. Uh, yeah, you might have heard him. He works for Patrick. And, uh, and Brian told us like, oh, yeah, he um, he likes to sound check with uh, Animal Chin songs every once in a while. 
Yeah, I've heard this. <laughs> and I remember like, seriously, animal chin? Like, like that's amazing. Yeah, Brian, Brian wrote to me like, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago or something now and told me that there, okay, there was this moment where Fall Out Boy was trying to do this crazy, um, like they were going to play like, like five continents in five days or something. I'm getting this wrong, I'm sure, but something like that. They're, they're trying to do some world record tour thing. And, and one of the places that they were going to play was like Antarctica. <laughs> nice. Uh, and, and Brian was like, I'm going to make sure that, you know, the boys like sound check with, you know, animal chins bleed in Antarctica. And, and of course I, not knowing what to say about that, of course, I just like, well, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Like get some footage or a recording, please. Like that would be fantastic. Uh, so, you know, even though I haven't personally uh, been to the sunny shores of Antarctica, uh, you know, I nearly got my, my, my music there, but, um, I, I think they didn't actually make it like they got stuck in Chile or something like that. Like there was some weather problem. So, you know, typical animal chin fashion, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think like, you know, I'm, I'm an animal chin fan, um, but I'm a fan of a lot of bands, but I just think to find out that, um, a star of his size was not just a ska fan, but a, a fan of a band that's probably lesser known to people outside of ska fans. That was the thing to me that was like found to be particularly fascinating. This is a guy who must really like ska if he's like knows animal chin songs. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, probably like Scott more than I do, you know? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. Like, okay, so yeah, he did, actually does like Scott quite a bit, but Scott was like, more his music than rock music was and hmm. turns out that animal chin kind of was that bridge for him to sort of connect the uh ska to the more rock stuff since you guys were kind of had different elements that you were mixing right. with ska and it was sort of for him he was able to kind of be have an appreciation for more rock type stuff through animal chin so just take that just take that in for a sec yeah, yeah, right. I mean, let me just lean back. And, um, no, you know, it's funny. I think I, I was kind of viewed Animal Chin as a ska band that was running away from ska um, in some respects. And and that's not meant to to laugh at ska or anything like that. Uh, but it was, you know, uh, you know, we've all had the, that band, right, where when you're young and you're doing something that is largely a response to your youth and 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 a response to what your friends who are also you know probably likely also in their youth what the, you're you're doing it in response to what they're liking and what they're doing the bands that they're starting and um and going to see you know you get caught up it, it's a scene right you get caught up in it and you kind of want to you want to make a contribution of your own and Animal Chin was our contribution, but at, at, while at the same time sort of celebrating our version of it, uh, we were also so into other things that there was a part of it that sort of like felt like we we didn't want to be uh, so typecasted towards that. And uh, so we probably had 
a lot of influences sneak in that wouldn't normally sneak in. You know, like we didn't have a horn section, right? There was only three of us primarily, right? There was there was little windows of the band where there was four of us. And um, I mean, gosh, the first two shows, we did have a horn section, but then we kind of oh, really? moved on from that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Who was in that horn section? Uh, let me let me take it one step further. If you think that's a wild moment, we also had black and yellow bowling shirts. Uh, and then quickly <laughs> learned that mustard plug had had uh, cornered the market on that. So we were like, OK, well, that was a waste of money. Um, so we had to abandon all of that jazz. But um, and I don't I kind of wish I still had it. I don't know where the hell it is at this point. Probably just threw it away. You know, it said animal chin on the back and then had our names on the front, black and yellow. Worth money. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we probably could have, you know, sold it to Patrick Stump for God knows what. So. <laughs> so- <laughs> So wait, that horn section, who who is that comprised of? Is it anybody that we know? Yes. Uh, uh, John and Kevin from, uh, well, at the time they were in a band called Stinkfish, but they went on to do the Siren Six. Oh, wow. Do you, you remember those guys? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so they were kind of, you know, I came from, before Animal Chin, I kind of came from this band that John was in called The Pacers. And so that's how I met John. And as The Pacers were disbanding, John and I were kind of gearing up to start a new band, which was going to be Animal Chin. I bought the Pacers van and we started Animal Chin. And then kind of in that process of of his band, the Pacers ending and Animal Chin starting, he joined Stinkfish from Madison. And Stinkfish uh, started kind of working and taking off and touring and whatnot. And Animal Chin was still kind of getting up and running. And just trying to figure out what the hell it wanted to be for the most part. I started as the bassist of Animal Chin, actually, and realized that we just couldn't find a guitar player that fit. And so I, I switched over to guitar. Um, and then, like, the second I did that, um, we found Andy, who was, you know, Animal Chin's bassist throughout the whole thing. And oddly enough, Andy was actually in a band that I was sharing a practice space with, but I had not met yet. But he, he did, it's not like he, that's how I was introduced to him. I, he actually responded to one of those, you know, like pull off the number ads that you would put out that, you know, we need a bassist. These are the influences, you know, we're starting to start this band. And so they pull your number off this little tag thing. And, and he responded to it. And just lo and behold, his gear was already in our practice space. And it was just like the funniest of coincidences, you know, serendipity, if you will. What influences were on that flyer? Oh gosh, uh, pro- it probably said something like uh, Fishbone, Propagandi, um, you know, No Effects, and Operation Ivy, Selector, Specials, uh, Madness, you know, Fugazi, <laughs> all the good ska bands. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I want to go. I want to take a little step back more. Um, were you in the Pacers the entire run or did you come in later in the band? Yeah, I was kind of like at the, like the, maybe, I don't even know if this is going to be accurate. Maybe like the three quarter mark to the seventh, seven eighths mark of the band. I, I left the band kind of right at the end. Um, and, uh, you know, not for any sort of like magnificent reasons. I just sort of didn't. I, I, if memory serves, I just kind of like didn't like being in that band. I think there was a couple of personality conflicts and, but I did like the band. I enjoyed playing music in that band. I enjoyed playing that music. 
Uh, I just wanted to do something a little different. And they were a little bit more trad Scott, traditional ska than I was sort of into. Um, and, you know, back then too, like, you know, you, when you would tour in a band like that, you know, there's a ska people can be, they, there's a lot of like walks of life that, that sort of like drip into the ska community. You know, you get like the punk ska kids, you know, the punkers, and then you get the real like sort of traditional two-tone people. And, and some of those guys spooked me. (laughs) 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 I mean, they're just like really, you know, there's some really conservative thinking and, and I, you know, I'm sort of like a, uh, you know, I wouldn't call myself an anarchist by any means, but I, I, I subscribe to the, like the liberal punk you know, ideals. And I didn't, I didn't take too kindly to some of the the types of thinking that I think that were prevalent in ska back in those days. And, and to sort of reference my first response, I think, um, I think I probably, you know, the, 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 we'll call it the retaliation of the genre that Animal Chin was exhibiting. Uh, we, I think a little bit of that was against that sort of closed mindedness. And I didn't, you know, I, I wanted I, I, you know, I subscribe to the, you know, I'd listen to propaganda and I'd be like, right on, man, right on, you know? Uh, and I didn't, I didn't care for some of the, the comments that, that I would hear at shows being made by more sort of traditional ska kids and, or ska people or whatever you want to, you know? And so I, you know, I think I retaliated a little bit against that politically. And I was certainly of the age, you know, like the college age where, you know, you, when you finally grow up and you're 18, uh, and now you feel like nobody can tell you what to do and you have, and now I've got a voice. Well, guess who gets to use their voice? You know, kids that age. And like, they might, I think like college aged kids, as I was at the time, we like to, we like to, if we decide that we want to be angry about something, right. We're happy to use that voice in an angry way. You know, you, a lot of, a lot of protest songs come from youthful people um trying to figure out trying to make sense of the world that they see and what what's a more cliche and yet classic way of expelling all that anger than through music right i mean that's why we have punk rock and animal chin i think was a little bit of our uh our vehicle to do that because we had a lot of like kind of political slants uh to our songs we had a lot of anger in the tempo <laughs> as i like to say sure yeah you know, we were really moving the songs along quite fast you know um yeah so all this to say that you know we um we were a little bit of the outcasts i think but you know and it's funny because like we met up with like you guys link 80 right and like we it, it we're pretty much fast friends from that one night in Utah? Is it Salt Lake yeah. City? Yeah. Salt Lake City, Utah. What do you remember about that show? Oh boy, I remember quite a bit. Um <laughs> so <laughs> uh so we, we you and I you guys had the same agent as us, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Ozark. Steve Ozark, Mr. Steve Ozark. And we got booked. And Steve Ozark was great. Uh, but tonight was like a really peculiar one. We got booked in what I believe was like a karaoke bar or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this promoter was extremely sketchy and was promising all of this stuff we had like at the time, which we thought was a really banging guarantee. I think we were each, I think each of our bands were getting like 
you're guaranteed 300 bucks that night. Wow. Which back in those days was like, yeah, man, we're all, we're all going to eat. Even Andy's going <laughs> to eat tonight. No, I'm just Love you, Andy. Uh, but you know, like that was like a big deal, right. For, you know, for the existence back then when, when gas was 83 cents, right. Getting paid 300 bucks. Okay. That's great. This is, this is, this is doable. Uh, and you can sell CDs for like a, like a 500% markup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As opposed to just like begging them to take them, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we, we, we're there, we're loading in the promoter is like, super sketchy he's he's making these outlandish promises about pizza and this that and the other and which tells you right away if you've been on tour before if somebody's like talking about the deal before the show is happening or whatever there's something wrong about the deal like the deal's not going to happen right so we're all kind of suspect and whatnot and 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 we're like this show is not even promoted and there's like, it's a karaoke bar. What the hell is going on? And we play the show and, you know, your band, our band played and we had a great time. There wasn't very many people there. Um, the pizzas that he kept promising never came. Uh, and we, he said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to pay you guys, but can you just come by my office tomorrow and I'm going to write you a check or something to this effect. And we were like, no, no, here's what we're going to do. And we parked the animal. I can't remember if it was your van or our van, but we parked one of our vans. We figured out where his car was. We parked behind it. And, and this guy had been lying to us all night before. And I think we had some sort of intel that he had been doing this to bands a long time or something like that. This is what I'm, so I'm piecing it together as I tell you the story. And so we got it in our heads that we were going to vindicate all the bands by... <laughs> Like holding this dude's feet to the fire for our for our collective six hundred dollars, right? Because our new friends Link eighty um, deserved that, and we wanted we wanted to have a uh, you know whatever uh, like a, a camaraderie. And what better way to build that camaraderie than by fleecing fleecing a poor promoter out of out of his yeah. his God given right to rip off bands? Uh, so we parked behind his car. He couldn't leave, and we also refused to load out. And the proprietors of the karaoke bar, which I believe were just like kind of like short Asian couple, if I'm not mistaken, they were they kept yelling at our bands going, why aren't you leaving? <laughs> kept asking us, why aren't we leaving? We're like, we're just waiting to get paid. And, um, and, sure, and so the pressure that was kind of cooking between all of this stuff happening, I think he got into the A van with Andy and was it Stoney? Is that his name? Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they took him to his ATM and it was right before midnight and he took out 300 bucks and that was the limit, right? That he could take out. Right. Right. Brought him back. And then we're like, cool. Well, after midnight, we'll take you back again. (laughs) And then we, (laughs) we drove him back. And and by the way, Stoney, right. Is like a, um, he was a pretty, um, intimidating fella. And and I didn't know him, but I remember being like, okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna send him along for the ride. We'll have him sit behind him or something, you know, like or right next to him, you know, like 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 leg to leg in the back of the van or something, right? And so they went back after midnight, and we got the additional three hundred bucks. And then he came back. We kind of like let him get in his car, and we were like, hey, great. Uh, so now we don't have to stop by your your office in the morning with the check. And somehow we ended up staying at some place. With, with, like somebody at the show offered us a place to stay 
Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly nice. It had like a pull down, like from the ceiling, one of those like uh, automated uh, projection screens that pulled down. And it was it was like one of the nicest places I've ever stayed on tour. Very, very wealthy person lived there. And I don't I don't remember who or how we got that connection, but we stayed in this like totally beautifully finished basement or something. And we watched TV on this huge projection screen that came out of the ceiling. And And I just <laughs> remember like, well, this is definitely making an impression on our bands or whatever. And uh, did I did I miss anything? Um, the only thing I can think of is is since it was a karaoke bar, it didn't have a regular stage, and it had like it, bars in front of the stage, right? <laughs> it had bars in front of the stage, and the stage was like four different like circular platforms. Oh god! Like what go-go dancers would stand on. So I just remember <laughs> at the time, Animal Chin was a four-piece. You guys had Jeremy Tahiro playing second guitar. Okay, yeah. And you each had your own platform. Naturally, right? To stand on <laughs> during the set. Finally, and we then, each get a platform. You know? I also remember everybody from Link 80 was juiced to watch you guys. And specifically, you know, we all knew the song off of Misfits of Ska 2. Okay, okay. And I most the main memory I have of your set is it got to the, I guess, the bridge before the breakdown at the end where where it does like kind of a high vocal part oh god and, and you didn't want to do it you didn't want to do it you sang it like an octave lower yeah are you talking about the song time out yes okay yeah that that was that that's what that's a, le- a life lesson song in that <laughs> you what you can do in the studio is not necessarily something you could do at the end of a you know 50 minute set or whatever now here's the best the best part though is that you sang the first, so you sing something like four different times during that, during that bridge. Yeah. The first two times you sang it low and all of us are standing, standing in front of you, pointing up going, no, <laughs> sing it high. And then you just, you just went, well, fuck it. And went for it. And like went balls to the walls, like super high for the, you know, <laughs> the last two. And all of us lost our minds. Like so stoked that you did, did it. Did I get there or did I? <laughs> you totally hit it. Okay. I mean, as far as we were concerned, a bunch of dumb punk kids. Right, right, right. And then I just remember it gets to the breakdown and we all just started hardcore dancing. Right. <laughs> naturally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what better hardcore band out there than the, the ska band from Minneapolis, you know? Now, am I, am I remembering this wrong, but didn't you play in a hardcore band for a second? I did. Yeah. I, um, I, I helped. Well, I, I don't necessarily think I helped start the band, but I was in er, the very early days of a band called Harvest. Um, and they were, um, they, they kind of went on to prominence in the straight edge hardcore scene, or I don't know if they were, you know, straight edge hardcore all the way through or anything like that, but that's, I believe that's how they started. Um, and so, yeah, very, very heavy. And if you go back to like some of their first material, I'm actually credited as a writer on a couple oh. of things or what I think. Wow. And, and I, I actually produced the first two recordings as well. Um, I, I pr- produced it. I mean, at, back in those days, you know, I was the guy that, you know, set up the mics and recorded them and, you know, and then told them that, you know, do it again. I don't know if that was necessarily producing a record, but I was that guy, you know, they recorded with me. Since the very beginning, you've been recording bands that I'm producing. Um, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like, so I, you know, I, I had a band in high school that, um, after we kind of made a couple attempts of recording with other people, uh, you know, I was sort of hooked on the process and, uh, I, you know, I've done it ever since. 
Now, I, 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 the whole process of taking your music from a form where you can only hear it by playing to a form where you can then like, you know, use the entirety of your brain and your ears to just listen back to it. That, that transition to me is such a fascinating thing. And then everything that can happen in between playing and listening through the means of this recording studio is always just been, you know, it's like a little bit of a, a roller coaster of, of fun for me. So I, I, you know, it's to this day, you know, I still, still love recording people. I still, you know, particularly young bands are fun to record just because everything at that point, everything's still a magic trick, you know? And so I kind of get to live vicariously through a young group figuring out, you know, Oh, did I get this part right? And Oh my God, that sounds great. You know? Um, Cause you know how we all practice, we practice in these dingy spaces usually, or, or at home or in a garage or whatever. And nothing ever sounds good. Nobody's really trying to, nobody's ever setting up their amp to sound good next to the drums. I was just setting it up so they can hear themselves, you know, and that's not necessarily the, the aim for doing things in a recording studio. It's meant to sound good. So when things start to sound good, it's just intoxicating, you know, cause it's not, it's not your heroes that you're listening to now it's you and that's fun. And that's a, that's a real trip. And I just, I, I still get off on that. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. The first record that Animal Chin puts out, was that the, the ins and outs of protest? The ins and outs of terrorism. Ins and outs of terrorism, excuse yeah. me. Excellent title, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it goes with, you know, you guys being young and, and having, you know. We've got opinions, man. Don't you want to hear them? So what, how did that album come about? Like, I want to get into that a little bit. So, okay. So, oh, gosh, I'm really having me walk. Walk back Sorry. and forth through the library <laughs> of my life here. Uh, no, um, you know, okay. So after the Pacers started this band, I started fancying myself a person that could write some of this stuff. And I, I started, you know, and being a person that liked to record, I would record these ideas. And I, I started putting together songs, which I thought these might be good for my next band, Animal Chin, right? And I would record them. I would abandon them. I would record more. I would abandon them. Um, and then, you know, once we got to the point where we had like a, a, a show worthy, you know, stable of musicians to play this with, um, we did. And it, it was after, you know, after the first two shows where we had like the horn section and the bowling shirts, um, we, we, I don't know. I, I can't remember exactly the dynamic, but I can, uh, it, it's obvious to me that it was like, me, the drummer, and Andy, um, the drummer being this guy named Ron, uh, we decided that we were a good unit, but everybody else didn't sort of m meet, uh, either meet our uh, tenacity to, and, and sort of enthusiasm, or they just maybe that musically, they didn't want to do the same things that we three decided that we liked doing. So we sort of just split off. And and at that point, the, the two horn players were already in... Um, 
Stinkfish or the Siren Six or whatever it was at that point. So it wasn't they and and they they, they were sort of having that sort of tug of war. You know, oh, you got same horn section, two bands. Mm, you know what I mean? That's trouble. Uh, so we sort of just said, okay, just go do that full time, and we'll just you know we'll do this. And then so it was just kind of a matter of letting this guy Josh, the singer, go, which wasn't great, but because um, he was an old friend, but um, it all you know all worked out or whatever. And then I I actually took on vocals. I'd never sung in a band before. Um, so the very first thing we did was that we sort of took stock of the songs that we had. Andy and I decided, I guess, that these songs are good and these songs weren't. We took six of them and we went to uh, sort of a local home studio and just recorded them. And I came in with new sets of lyrics you know, lyrics that were probably designed more in my head about how I would sing them than actually whether or not I could sing them. And that's why you get moments like that you did yeah. <laughs> in Salt Lake City or wherever it was. Um, but for the most part, I could, you know, sing that stuff live or whatever. Um, but it definitely was a learning experience about what uh, what a, what your voice can and can't do. It took me a long time, I think, if I'm honest with you guys, it took me a long time to to learn that lesson. I never really worked with a producer that often in my life ever really until until kind of early with the stereo with uh, uh jay robbins but even then by that point i was sort of still producing my own vocals and whatnot gotta feel a little vindicated though vocally that you know patrick stump basically copped your vocal style and the singer from uh saves the day and mashed them together and that's his vocal Right. Like that, that's what he told us. Well, look, the checks, the, the checks that he sends to me every month really just make up for it. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, I am, I am of course kidding. Um, no, he, look, he, it's one of those things, right. Where like, I know we're diverting a little bit, but like, I, I, you're not the first person to obviously say this to me. And I never exactly know what to say in response to it because i feel like people kind of want me to be angry oh i don't think i don't think the response was to be angry the, the response is to be like you're a really good singer here's the evidence yeah right well he's a great singer um and and regardless of uh the origin story of for him everybody starts off trying to cop somebody right and you know i i just happen to be the guy for him you know i guess yeah. you know what i mean and and so i don't I don't take it. And, and by, mind you, I'm not trying to say that you guys are expecting me to be angry. I'm saying some people expect right, me to be right. angry um, because you know how people are about fame. Right. And you know how people are about when bands get big that maybe they liked before or bands that get big that sound like another band that they like or whatever. Right. And I so I, I you know, I am like faced with this very routinely, the, you know, the, the fallout boy, Jamie thing, whatever. And I, I never really know what to say about it. I don't take any offense to it. I don't, I'm not pissed. I'm not. Um, if anything, I kind of look at it and go, well, if there's any real truth to this, yeah, vindication. Maybe, maybe what I've been doing all these years, there's some sense to it. It just, maybe it just takes somebody a little bit more skilled to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, I, I don't know. I, I've never really tried to look at, at, at music like, like it was a job that, okay, I'm putting in the hard work, so I want to get promoted. Do you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people look at it like that, whether or not they think it or not. 
Whereas the exercise of, of playing sound and rhythm in rhythm with melody is to me the reward I was after the whole time, right? I don't need affirmation elsewhere for me to enjoy music. I don't. It is tremendously fun when you receive affirmation for doing a good job, <laughs> right? But it's not, it's not like, it's not the gas in the tank, you know? The gas in the tank is just doing it. And, and I think that's honestly what separates people that uh, are, are great at music and people that aren't is that it is the, uh, the impetus for why they do it, right? If you do it because you love music, you're going to find a way to be great at it, at, be great at music, to be inspirational to someone, right? And I, I feel very fortunate and, and, and I will even risk sounding a little bit arrogant in saying to you guys that you're laughing, stop laughing. <laughs> Don't you laugh. I'm trying to be heartfelt here. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I, but I will risk some arrogance here um, and say that I feel like um, my passion for what I've done has made a small impact, it, whether it's on a person like Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy and helped him to do his thing and have his career, or to the guy down the street, maybe not the street I live on. I don't think anybody gives a shit on my street, but like, you know, some, some kid back in Minneapolis back in the day or whatever, and some kid out in Santa Cruz or some kid in, you know, um, you know, Hoboken or whatever, right? Like that goes, this, this is resonating with me. I, you know, I guess there's gotta be some reason you're talking to me this many years after, (laughs) after Animal Chin, right? Like I didn't, I didn't do everything wrong or maybe I did. And that's what this is. This is actually a uh, intervention. <laughs> we, well, we didn't want to have to. I, no, I didn't but, have my glasses. I thought it said interview, but I, you guys actually write in the email it said intervention. Well, we, you know, there's other people too. I mean, Jeff Rosenstock. Heard of him? I don't know if we talked about you in the podcast, but he wrote the forward to my book and he specifically talked about, you know, the uh, all the kids agree just listening to that repeatedly. Look, I pay a lot of money to have this praise be sort of <laughs> distributed. Barry Johnson, uh, Joyce Manor, I'm pretty sure. I'm, he's, it was either during the podcast or off the podcast. I can't remember. We've had conversations about Animal Chin being a particular favorite band as well. So, hmm. I mean, the first couple episodes of this podcast, we kept making the joke that this was the Animal Chin podcast. Oh, yeah. gosh. They can have like a clips show, you know, where it's just animal chin references. <laughs> We're trying to um, boost your ego. We're not trying to make you angry. Oh, I'm, you can, as you can tell, I'm, you know, infuriated. Livid. Yes. Livid. Outraged. Before I let that go for just like, I just, I like, I just, I just want to tell you guys, thank you. I appreciate the love that, that, because I do hear these things. I don't exactly, I don't know if you guys are like this with your music, but like, I don't necessarily scour the internet for, all things Jamie Wolford, right? Um, the and 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 I'm fortunate enough to be. I don't even know how to say it. Not sound like a jerk. I'm fortunate enough to have people that just sort of share what bubbles up. Anyway, oh, did you see this? Or I get tagged, or however. So it just kind of comes to me anyway. Yeah. So I am. I am aware that these things are happening, and somebody's like, "Hey, did you see what such and such said?" Or did you hear this? Or whatever. And it's always lovely. It's always lovely to feel that and to hear that. And 
um, you know, it makes me look a little bit cooler in front of the kids and, yeah. and, and my wife, which is, you know, I, I, I need that. I need those, those kind of cool points, you know? Um, so it's great. And so thank you. I really do appreciate that from you guys. And I appreciate that you guys would have me on to write all the wrongs of that everybody said about me. So. Sure. I mean, <laughs> in my, in my case, you know, my band wasn't important at all. So I just inserted my band into a book about ska to make it seem as though we were important. <laughs> right. Oh, your band so, was important to me, Aaron. It was important so. to Adam. So I did have an, I did impact the world. What was, I'm sorry. I, I for, forgive me. What was the band? It was flat planet. It's the second to last track. I know this band. We were on Misfits of Ska too together. So. And Bay Area Ska. And Bay Area Ska. Yeah, no, I've definitely heard of the, heard of the band. Yeah. We were yeah. no animal chin though. Oh boy. I mean, who really in their right <laughs> mind would want to be? Um, no, no, look, I mean, I'm, gosh, I, I, I feel a little silly now. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, I, my wife will often tell me, you don't know how to take a compliment. Just say, thank you. Just be nice. People think you're a <laughs> jerk because you just don't know how to take a compliment. If you don't take this compliment, we're going to pull out the, the next list of other famous people that are animal chin fans. Do you want us to go there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, no, but, but yeah, I'm actually been working on trying to do that as like, almost like a, you know, um, a self, uh, improvement thing where, I'm trying to take compliments better. I'm trying to be seem more appreciative because I am appreciative, but I don't think I always convey that to people. Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes I just, I go deer in the headlights when somebody says something nice, like, yeah. Yeah. And then, and I will, I probably, I bet if you rewind, I've probably done it in this podcast where I will, uh, <laughs> I will make a joke at my own expense to smooth out the discomfort that I'm feeling about compliments. So. Uh, sounds like uh i'm gonna lay down on the couch guys when you just listen okay <laughs> let's do yeah, it we'll yeah. just yeah. yeah i'll get my clipboard so it all started when i was when i was seven <laughs> so for um for context we were talking about or you were talking about animal chin as a reaction and we were also talking about pacers i want to ask i want to talk a little bit about pacers because i did interview a andy noble for my book and we did talk a little bit about the pacers wow yeah I don't know. See, I don't know what where you fit into this the story that uh, I got from him. I'm a footnote, really, in that okay. band. I mean, I was I was the drummer in the band when they moved from Milwaukee to Minneapolis, and then for for to to attend the University of Minnesota, and the and their drummer didn't go with. And so okay. when they got there, they needed a guy, and I pulled off one of those phone numbers off the flyer, just like I you know Andy did with me years later, and I went from you know. Uh, just being out of high school to like playing at the first Avenue main room within a couple of months or something like that. And it was like, a, it was a pretty life changing eye opening experience for me because at that point, you know, the music that I was playing with the bands that I was playing in, you know, we were lucky to be, you know, spit on. And that would have been some, that would have been some like, <laughs> like worthy attention. You know what I mean? But now people are like paying tickets prices to come see this band that I was in. So I just, I marveled at it and I soaked it up, but you know, yeah. And, but like I said, I didn't, um, for whatever reason, maybe it was my own youth and not understanding, uh, differences of personality or whatever. I just kind of was like, mm, I don't feel, I don't feel like I want to do this. So I, I actually left the band that was doing so well, you know? So you were talking about it being more two tones. So the, um, my, what I understand about the Pacers 
Yeah, they had built a pretty impressive scene locally, and then when they moved, they were they can they brought that over. They were had a nice scene going. It was in the early '90s, uh, early mid '90s before um, ska punk really took off, and Andy was basically saying that um, they were kind of the only game in town for a while, and then they started to see ska punk take over, and you know a little bit more on the uh, sillier side, and that just they just weren't into it and they just bailed from the scene because they just, they liked that it was um, more serious and more respectable, I guess you can say. I was thinking about that because you were talking about them, you know, the, the context that, that they were to you and that you were kind of maybe reacting to. So I'm curious if you saw that at all or if you experienced that at all. I mean, I, I would think that's, I, I think that's a perfectly adequate perspective maybe of, of how he might see it. You know, um, I don't think I've talked to him since I was in the band. So like, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare dream of like trying to, you know, go against what he said about his own band that he was in much longer than me this many years after the fact I, again, I was a footnote, but I, 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 I didn't think that that the Pacers weren't silly. I, I think they had an element to them that was very good and very serious. And Paul, uh, the singer, songwriter, main guy, was an incredible writer um, whom I really did learn quite a bit from just by kind of, you know, I was so just uh, uh, just for clarity, I, I was the drummer in this band. I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I was I was sort of born and bred a drummer and then that moved on to other things. Um, but I didn't really know much about songwriting at that point, but I feel like I got a, like a small education from being in that band about it just by the way that these guys would interact. And, and I'd never been in a band with any more than two more instrumentalists at that point, you know, just a guitarist and a bassist. Well, this had a guitarist, a bassist, a keyboardist and horns. So there was a lot more musicality that needed to kind of like meet and compromise to make a song work than just two guys, right? Smacking away at, at, at their at their string sticks. So <laughs> I think I got a little bit of an education of like when they would when they would break into their we got to work this out, I'd pay attention and I would kind of go, oh, well that sounds cool. I like what they did there. You know what I mean? Like, and I just I got you know I I, I I'm a firm believer that you're it's never good to be the kind of person that walks into a room with the mindset that there's nothing to learn upon leaving, you know? So I've all, even if I don't understand what I'm observing, I still try to observe it and see if I can walk away a little smarter. I think that's a good practice for anybody. I like, I, I want, I try to teach our children that, you know, and, and I think it's important to have that mindset because it's just, it's all about growth and like, just under, I want to understand my own instrument better. Wouldn't I have, a better faculty of my own thing. If I can understand a little bit about what they're doing and how it locks in with what I'm doing, you know, so that, that seemed like just like sensible musicality to me. And so I learned a lot from that band, but I definitely don't think they weren't silly. I think, I mean, they had a song called Hassan Pfeffer that was like, you know, and they had sam samples that uh, like, like kind of like uh, pre-recorded samples of like cartoons and stuff. And we did a version of, uh, um, what was it like Black Sabbath? I think it was paranoid or something, but it was ska. And I mean, you know, we did all the, there's all the cliches that ska bands do. So I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that the Pacers were a, um, ser a serious man's ska band, but at the same time, probably more so than the stuff around, you know, there's a little bit of ska that is just too wacky for its own good. 
And, you know, when I mentioned earlier, I was, you know, I pull away from that, you know, with animal chin and I'm like, no horns, no funniness, you know, we're going to talk about animal rights and everybody's like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Big downer. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and for some people, I think that was the sweet spot, you know, because they liked Scott, but they kind of were just like, Oh, you know, I can only like survive on popsicles for so long, you know, eventually, eventually I'd like to eat a sandwich, you know? Yeah. There's definitely more, more substance to, to animal chin. And then there was just, I mean, I can't think of Minneapolis without thinking of, of you guys and the siren six. Mm -hmm. Were there other bands that i'm overlooking from that area that were ska punk bands um yeah i mean there was a couple there's a band called the jinkies and there was a band called 10 cent fun um oh my gosh i'm probably gonna forget a few that are like wolfbird dude we used to play together all the time you know what i mean i'm like ah i'm sorry (laughs) it's been a tick um yeah i mean i kind of can't think of a lot right now you know, and mind you, like we didn't, we didn't really want to play with the ska bands. We wanted to be the ska band on the, on the rock bill or the metal yeah. bill, you know, like we kind of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just my aim, but I kind of liked being the odd duck. You know, I, I took a sense of pride in it and I, I, I did it with, with uh, bravado and, and, um, I mean, even if people didn't like us, then it, it, I, I think that, that, that in its own thing was a little bit of fuel for to keep going, you know, like, like a re, any reactions, a good reaction, I suppose. I don't know. Again, I talk about when you're, when you're young and you've got things to say that you think are important, you know, I think in my head, I kind of was going, yeah, well, we're going to, we're going to create some conflict. This band is about conflict, you know? And, do you know what I mean? Like it's, I, I say this now with like complete sort of humility and like, and wisdom of age. And, um, but it was it, in some ways I enjoyed the confrontational aspect of what my band represented. You know, it, we were certainly confrontational to ska music itself because we, we played fast. We played, even our ska parts felt punk, you know? Um, I, I mean, it's so funny. It's like, I'm trying to slay the dragon of ska music. Like what, what this? Who is <laughs> who needs that dragon slayed? Apparently, I do. You know what I mean. But but back then, it was like that was my Mount Everest to climb. I guess I don't know. No, no, I don't have a good analogy. When you're young and when you're in a scene, I mean, it's it's a little bubble, but it it it's it me everything is very meaningful. So yeah, I mean, yeah. like the band, the the and there's band. an aspect. Yeah, there's an aspect too of like being like being notorious is better than being unknown. You know, and so, um, I mean, I can remember we had trouble with the punk scene too. I specifically had trouble with the punk scene in Minneapolis, you know, and I used to, I used to fancy myself of a, a outcast and a, a vocal opponent to anything that I felt was contradictory to wisdom or common sense. And I would, I would, I would go off on stage and, you know, and it's silly now. I think back to some of my, my sort of youthful anger about things that just don't matter now and didn't really matter then. And I kind of just, I have regret. And, and I, I think to myself, like, I, you know, I would have, maybe we would have gotten along a lot better with all these people had it just been like a little bit less uptight, you know? No, maybe not. <laughs> 
right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Give us an example of a song that you feel like maybe was confrontational lyrically or, you know, still what you were talking about. Um, Boy, the whole All the Kids Agree album. Yeah, that's a pretty, it's, to be honest, yeah, that's like, it's got a lot of, um, you know, ready for reattitude, mm-hmm. um, the scene, um, oh God, FTDB, FTDB. Well, there's no lyrics in FT. It's an instrumental, so. But it's definitely confrontational. Adam, Adam had uh, yeah. told us the meaning behind the song. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to say the meaning behind the the FTDB? I believe it's fuck the Decepticons' bus. Something is that, yeah. That's funny. I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you you told me that you knew, so I'm just I, I don't. Um, but I mean, like, well, what do you call an instrumental? You know, like I don't know. You know, like so. Um, Fuck the Decepticons bus. That's I'm a, that's what you call it. Do so you want to explain? I want you to tell us about the Decepticons bus. <laughs> so we toured with um, a band called the Decepticons for a short while i don't know how long um i actually think it was part of the end we were out with mu 30 mu 330 which we were seemingly always out with mu 330 because they also uh, were a steve arzak fan um but i love mu 330 and and boy if you want to talk about an education and being a band yeah spend a week with mu 330 and you know how to be a rock band yeah they're a punk ska band but they are they are showmen through and through dan podcast is an absolute like American legend, in my opinion, as far as underground music goes. And I think, I think he should get like a lifetime Grammy because that guy has fostered so many, you know, you, you, you give me all this credit or whatever for like Patrick Stump or whatever, but like it all goes back to Dan Pothest to me. He is the end all be all of touring bands at this point. He's just, he's a good performer. He's a great musician. He's a fantastic person. And I feel like I learned so much just by thinking about Dan and like, and all of the greatness that he exudes. So thank you, Dan. I mean, honestly, none of us would be here without you. So, um, okay. What was I saying? Decepticons. Oh, Decepticons. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> shitty purple bus. Uh, so they had this bus and I don't remember anybody from the band or anything about their band. I don't know if they were good or bad. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be uh, dismissive. I, I, I just don't, you know, um, they they had this purple bus and i i there was something about their band that we didn't jive with they either they weren't nice to us or we didn't i don't know i don't know what it was why do i why do i not like some band well here's what i i remember andy telling me i remember andy telling me you guys went on the bus for a second and it was just gross filthy inside is a purple school bus yeah and then somebody had rigged up taken like a two liter, cut the bottom off of it and put some tubing on the end going out the door. So you could stand oh. in, the, in the in the well, like the steps that go down out of the bus <laughs> and you could piss into this thing while the van was moving. Right. And, and so I remember you guys being super grossed out by that. 
Really? It sounds like ingenuity to me. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, we definitely all peed in bottles. On yeah, tour. yeah, yeah. The, the, I don't know, man. Maybe FTB doesn't stand for "fuck the Decepticons" bus. It's like, like maybe it's like, uh, you know, fun the Decepticons bus. You know? <laughs> like, find the Decepticons bus. I don't know. I, I want to talk about an animal chin van thing, though. Oh God, a really dangerous thing you guys used to do on tour. You're talking about cruise control driver change. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I want you to talk about this. Cause it's the most, I've never heard of another band doing this and it's the most insane, but ingenious thing I've ever heard of. You know, I, I okay. I, I need to preface this and say that I have a 16 year old daughter right now that I'm teaching how to drive. And oh, I don't wow. want it. So if you're, if you catch this, please do not do anything that I did back then. No one, no one should ever do this. Okay. So, <laughs> By the way, it's so weird that I, I guessed that, and you remember. Why do you know all this stuff? Get out of my head. Adam is um, is straight edge, and has oh. always been straight edge, and <laughs> thus has a very good memory. All right, he remembers the things that we all did. But I was straight edge too back then. I just apparently I was just insane. Uh, so no, okay. So uh, everybody drives a car. Everybody knows that cars have cruise control. Everybody knows that if you're in a band and you're driving a van with cruise control and you turn on the cruise control, it takes a long time to get to your next show. And every once in a while, somebody wants to change, you know, I don't want to drive anymore. And we're kind of running late. We can't really afford to stop. So, all right, well, tell you what, I'll lean the seat back. Andy, you grab the wheel. I'll keep it in cruise control. And I will, I'm now going to exit the driver's seat. And then you move to the center and then I move to the driver to the passenger seat. And then I grab the wheel as you get back in the driver's seat. And this is like at, you know, 85 miles an hour <laughs> with a trailer, car, with a trailer and no driver. Um, <laughs> it's not a good idea. Okay. And like, and, and uh, please don't do this people. It is a terrible, terrible idea. And we're extremely lucky that nothing bad happened because I know so many bands that have had bad things that happened. You know, with with vans that that were being properly driven, <laughs> let alone not having a driver behind the wheel. So, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Sorry, mom. I remember you guys telling me about that. That was something that you did, and me telling the rest of my band, like, do you know what Adam Chid does? To like when they want to change drivers, everyone was horrified. Yeah, <laughs> they could not. Vote. And like we were insane. Like we were like like a little bit younger than you guys and all just insane. Right. Right. And, right. and all of us like, we're just like, this is crazy. It's really dangerous. And I, and I, and, and I'm, I'll be honest. There's a lot of embarrassment. I tell, I'll, I'll tell the story for you guys and your audience because it's good for your show. But at the same time, I was just like, <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm really embarrassed that I even did that because that's just stupidity. You know what I mean? I mean, come on, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's, we've done some funny things and, you know, there's always like the, like the, when you on a tour of the band and you're side by side and you're throwing food at each other. And Oh yeah. We did that with Buck 09 and they threw a whole bread bag full of milk at our windshield. That's funny. Cause like MU330 threw a chocolate shake at our windshield and it like covered the whole windshield. And we're like, oh, I can't, and I can't see, you know? And, and then, you know, you're just like, well, I guess we're doing bumper vans down the I-80 now. And, you know, like, <laughs> Bam, bam. So that that place that we stayed in Utah, I I specifically remember all of us like laying around in our in our uh, sleeping bags. sleeping bags, like all you know hanging out, being chummy. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to Andy about 
what to do if we hit black ice. It was my first tour. It was my first time driving out of state. Really? That was your first tour? Yeah. Oh my Lord. Um, yeah. And literally the next day I spun the van out on black ice. Oh my gosh. What did, what was Andy's advice? I can't remember exactly. That's probably why you spun out on black ice. <laughs> <laughs> I spun out and, uh, yeah. And we were okay. Uh, Adam Pereira slept through the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I know like, so Pollen, Chris, Chris Serafini, who's in the stereo was in the band called Pollen before, uh, the stereo and Pollen, um, they, we, they have this sort of like infamous story that sometimes it's referred to as the launch. Sometimes it's referred to as the nap. Um, I prefer the, the title, the nap. Um, they were, they were cruise controlling their, their, uh, their van down the, uh, the freeway. And, and I, I like thinking of this story in terms of like cinematics, right. Where like, there's a camera that's like kind of panning out or zooming out from like somebody in the van sleeping. And, the, and then as it pans out, you see another guy sleeping and then another guy sleeping and then the, and the camera's turning and it points towards the driver who's also sleeping. And like, <laughs> they, they basically went into the center part of the freeway, right? Where there's a, like a U-turn thing, all of them sleeping at like 80 miles an hour, right? With a trailer. And that, and they woke up kind of like as the van was taking flight off of this thing. And, and like, according to them, there's like this gigantic space where the tire tracks stop and then start again. <laughs> Like it was like eight, like I, like they make it sound like it was a 40 foot, like an evil Knievel launch that they did with the van. But, and, and, and the story is like, once they started waking up, everybody started screaming like full on Chevy chase, national lampoons, like, ah, ah, and I'm screaming at you. You're screaming at me, but no one's doing anything about the fact that they're now flying through the air. And like, it's all slow-mo and all this stuff, but everybody was fine. They like had to replace a tube you know, in like one of the, the guitar amps or whatever, but, um, yeah, wow. I mean, that, that there, there's all those stories, but then there's really bad stories too. Like where, you know, this band like flipped their van and like, you know, the guy lost his arm or this guy has to get plastic surgery now because it doesn't look the same, you know, like, like it, touring is like as fun and as funny as it all is of us talking about it, it actually is like, it's a statistics game that's kind of not in your favor. Right. As you're out there basically endeavoring to win the lottery, which is the dumbest, you know, form of like, you know, income ever, right? You're also then like putting your life at risk by like driving extreme distances in a vehicle that's not necessarily meant for um, comfort. Well, I guess it's sort of meant for comfort, but it's not necessarily meant for driving capability, right? And like if you have to like do something quick in a van, you know, you could flip, right? And then on top of it, you just like put yourself in just being on the road is in a sense, putting yourself in harm's way. And then, so you're just doing this for like eight to 10 hours a day, every day for years. And then mind you eating poorly, sleeping poorly, living off of like coffee and Red Bull and Taco Bell and all this stuff. And then hoping to win the lottery this whole time. You know what I mean? It's not, it, it's kind of like this, like this, this like risk assessment game uh, <laughs> gone wrong. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, I'm going to basically optimize all the things that could go wrong for me to work against me. And then, and then repeat the process on a daily basis. You know, it's fun. 
it's fun and we all had a good time, but it's like, it's uh statistically, it's a little scary when you think about it, you know? And that's why, that's why you have the statistics that you do. How many stories do you, have you heard about this band flipped their thing, did that, and now they're, you know, their gear is destroyed or worse. They're, they're injured or, or even worse, they're dead, you know? So, I mean, that was what came, went through my head all the time on tour was I, you know, for that time period, that was just like, oh, this is how I'm going to die. Yeah. And then when I didn't die, like it was, it was really, you know, you won the lottery. I won the lottery. I'm not dead. I didn't, I didn't flip the van. I've seen enough really crazy accidents for just because I was on tour day after day after day. And you just eventually happen upon some crazy, crazy stuff. Right. I mean, I've seen a, like a, like a, a, what do you call those things? Like those, it's bigger than an Explorer, like an excursion, right? Whatever that big SUV thing is like the three row behemoth, right? I've seen one of those fly through the air, like ass overhead, like four times, like it was a toy, you know, driving from Boston to New York. And I'm just like, and, and when you see something that you know to be like, like heavy to the point of megatons, right? Not megatons, but like tons and tons of weight, like something like that doesn't easily get like tossed around like it's a matchbox car. But when you see it happening, it's just, it's violent and it's scary. And you're like, how, how is this happening? That thing is that heavy and it shouldn't behave that way. And yet it's flipping. Right. You know, and then I saw a, um, I don't know where we were. We were driving in the rain and there's this like kind of like a box truck, you know, it's like a van with a box on the back. Basically it's like a work truck coming around the turn on a freeway. And it was in front of us, you know, hundred so feet or whatever. It spun around complete 180, and now the headlights are pointed at us. And we're just like, what? And then it just as quickly as it spun around and faced us, it spun back the same way it came and just was sort of wobbling. And we were like, what? And we just and we were kind of like we yelled and then we were silent. <laughs> and then and all of a sudden the dude's like blinker turns on. <laughs> like he had just done like a shove it like a pop shove it like on a skateboard but with his truck (laughs) and then a pop shove it back and then was like i'm gonna get off the road now and just flipped on his blinker and then just pulled off to the side and we were like oh and and then at that point it was hilarious right we're just like because we knew he was okay but like oh my god you know And, and when you see things that shouldn't behave like that behave that way you're like this is kind of scary you know, it it could be really scary, you know, so and traveling can be scary. So weird people out there and, you know, things can happen. And so it's, it's sometimes I actually kind of think to myself, it's amazing that I'm here, you know, like of all the bizarre situations I've found myself in sketchy alleys, weird promoters, being lost in strange neighborhoods, you know, like sleeping in strange places in Europe that, I think I need a tetanus shot now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you're just kind of like, oh, okay. I want to go back to talk about uh, all the kids agree. I think Adam would agree with me. That's a, a a classic record from the era. So right. So that that was basically an EP with Cur- yes the ins and outs of terrorism tacked on sort to the of, end of it. Yeah, slapped kind of, essentially that. Yeah, and then plus an acoustic song, an, an acoustic cover of Bleed. Yep, just to butter it up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Why isn't all the kids agree on streaming? Ugh. Why do I have to go on YouTube anytime I want to listen to it? So this is uh is this related to Kingpin Records? Is that the is that the issue here? No. Well, I mean, it was on Kingpin Records, but we've like long since sort of like solidified the ownership and all the rights or whatever. 
you know, um, to that, like, and, and I actually sort of like bought back the remaining stock of the record that was existed. Um, and have subsequently lost. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Um, it's probably gone in a dumpster somewhere many, many years ago. Not that I put it there, but it just, it kind of like, um, it's, it was at my, my parents' place of, of, uh, their business for a while. And then, then that business got sold and I assume it just probably got like, what is this stuff? And they just, you know, probably got thrown out. Um, the reason that you don't hear uh, this record anymore is entirely my fault. Um, I'm not a fan of the record and I have not been, um, a proponent of letting it see the light of day. I am starting to change my tune after 20 years or whatever. You guys are probably at least 50% responsible for <laughs> okay. this. Okay. Okay. I need um, to hear, um, why, why are you not a fan of the record? And is it, does it, is it relate to the context and circumstance of the creation of it? Just uh, no, nothing, nothing as dramatic as that. I just like, it, um, it, it just sort of embodies like, to me, like, I, I don't think it's a great record. I don't think it was well made. Uh, and nothing against uh, Steve, the guy that kind of uh, Steve McKinstry, the engineer that helped us make it. He was amazing. We just weren't a great band and I wasn't a great singer. And so when I listen to it, if I do listen to it, if I can listen to it, which is extremely difficult, I just, I just cringe and I hear it. And I was just like, Oh, it's like these songs are better than this, this recording and better than this performance and better than this band at this point. And I just like, it, it's a very tough thing for me to listen to. And so I, to me, I'm, uh, you know, going back to some of one of my earlier answers is like, you know, I'm less concerned about the affinity that people will have for what I'm doing as I am just the art of making music and enjoying music. And I don't enjoy that particular recording of music. So I'm I'm not have not been inclined to share it. Now I will tell you that um it's now become sort of a little bit of a joke and I apologize to to this guy, this guy Jeremy from uh um uh, Jump Jumpstart Records every year for at least <laughs> 7 8 years he sends me an annual email about trying to release this on vinyl. And every single year I tell him Oh man, I'm really sorry. I, I I want to do this and I will do this. I just I just haven't had any time to devote to it. You know, like we have me and my wife, we have we're raising four children and I, you know, I have uh, uh employment and I'm producing records and I'm working on music of my own. And I, I'm just like, um, you know, this is just it at this point, at this point is sort of like at the bottom of the list of things that like have to get done. But um my my dear wife, who is just like, you gotta just get this thing done. Just get it done. And and now actually Rory from from the stereo and the impossibles is now is sort of beating me up about it too. He's like, dude, you have to do this. Just I'm just like, I don't know, you know, I kind of want to like re-record the whole thing. He's like, shut up. Just <laughs> remix it. Don't even remix it. It's a classic. Just put it out. I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll shut up. And so now at, both Adam, our manager and Rory are, are sort of beating me up and with my wife's encouragement. I'm hoping to get a new mix of it done by the end of this year. And then at that point we can figure out how to get it out there. So, All right. um, and, and hopefully at least at, in that sort of, if I can put my, my business to it, maybe I can get it to a point where I'm like, okay, 
I can, I can have this come out and I don't have to be so afraid of it, you know, but it's just one of those things from just like, you know, it's like your, um, your bad hair day school photo. You don't want to share, <laughs> but it's like 13 high fidelity, bad hair day school picture songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, here's the thing, though, is Jamie, is I think everybody thinks your hair looks cool in the picture. Yeah, so yeah, you need to not, me, right? not trip. It's really good. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm I'm <laughs> learning to love again. I'm learning yeah. to love. Right, let's let's pick a song. Um, okay, this may be tough. I might have to get the guitar up. <laughs> you not? I don't want you to play a song. I want to discuss a song. It's funny because I can't. I I, I uh, my wife was asking me about a lyric the other day, and I was like, I don't I don't know. And she's like, Well, you wrote it. I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know what they are. And and she was not understanding. And I'm like, well, it's, I could sit down and if you give me the guitar, I could sing to you and play the chords of the whole thing without even thinking about it. But if you take the guitar away and say, don't perform it, just write the lyrics down or give me the chords or whatever. I can't do it. It's just, it does, it's not in my memory banks that way. It's almost like a physicality. It's mu- muscle memory. Um, so talking about songs sometimes, especially old ones can be really difficult because I'm like, I don't know. I may have to just like play it and then tell you, like, I don't, I don't know. No, but, but I'll try. I'll try. Whatever, whatever works. I'm sorry. I've just written so many hits that like, <laughs> yeah. it's just difficult. I mean, you really have. I know you're, I know you're just joking around, but you've written some. Uh, yeah, it's, bangers, you, man. you hush, you hush. <laughs> the scene and, and bleed definitely a couple of my favorites. So, um, thank you. Which, uh, which of those would you like to discuss? Like, you know, like some of the insight behind the, the words or the, the songwriting or the music uh, itself? Well, I think the, the scene is, is sort of a, um, um, it's sort of like a, a me, uh, maybe not passing judgment. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Repudiation. No, that's, that, that's, that sounds way too wordy. Let's choose a different word. It's a sort of a uh, indictment, let's say of what I perceived at you know, in the year 1997 or whatever of how I perceived sort of the Minneapolis underground music scene, punk scene, ska scene, whatever. And just the sort of like, uh, the, a lot, a lot of haircuts, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of talk, not, not enough rock as they say, (laughs) you know, like everybody's sort of like, it got opinions, but what's your band sound like? You know, that kind of vibe. That's kind of where I'm coming from, at least in that song. Where I'm like, here we are, we're doing this thing, you know, like, um, and I've actually had lots of songs where I make, I, I will make this reference where um, there's a song, it was in a band called Let Go, where I, I say, uh, your bird won't fly like a plane. That's one of the lyrics. And I, it's one of my favorite things I ever wrote because what I, what, and and no one will ever get this unless I explain it to them. So maybe not a great lyric in the end, but it means something to me. And like the whole, like someone flips me the bird. Um, I'm like, go ahead. You flip me the bird, but that bird won't fly like the plane I'm going on to go to Japan next week. Asshole. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Like I love that. It's that, that little line for me is this whole sort of um, embodiment of like me trying to retaliate against people that didn't believe in us or thought we were stupid or they, they, they you know, cause people, cause people back in the day used to laugh at animal chin because we had a booking agent. That was like a thing apparently like that we weren't punk cause we had a booking agent. It's like, well, we're playing shows. We need a booking agent. It's not, you know, we, we also have a car we, uh, called a van. It, 
put gasoline that we buy from Texaco and Chevron and whoever. Like, you know, like I'm pretty sure that those guys provide you your gas too. So like, let's just stop with the hypocrisy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a means to an end to a certain degree. So I would always take offense to that. And that song is about telling those people to stick it. That's hilarious, though, thinking about people being self-righteous about having a booking agent because... Self-righteous. That's good. That's a good word. I'll use that. All right. Because every story Adam brings up about um, Steve Ozark, it's always like, oh, yeah, he booked us at a crack house or uh, he booked us... At <laughs> he only some... booked us at one crack house. <laughs> okay. But you know what I mean. That's that. My point is that it wasn't like he, you, <laughs> he was booking you at swanky venues. I mean, he did though. He did, he booked us a lot of great, like, uh, we had a lot of great shows. Thanks to Steve. Uh, um, and, and I'll be honest with you. Like, uh, he was one of the booking agents that we, that I've ever worked with over the years. And, and I've had a few, um, and not, not all were good. Right. We, you know, Trish, uh, uh, Bauer that did the stereo was fantastic. We love her. Steve Ozark that did animal chin. Um, he was fantastic. He, he, there were definitely pockets in the country where it was like, um, I feel like his his network was looser than in other places, you know? Like every time we'd go to California, we'd have kind of like these wonky shows. But every time we go to like the Midwest and the East Coast, I think he was pretty on point, you know what I mean? But like certain places were just, you know, whatever. And that, you know, I mean, it's funny because like think of all the bands, Link 80, Impossibles, MV330, Animal Chin, Marvelous 3, Butch Walker's original band. They were all on Ozark Talent. Alkaline Trio was for a second too. Alkaline Trio. There you go. Like, I mean, these people hit the bricks hard, you know, like Animal Chin toured a lot in the late nineties to like an obscene amount of shows. And it was all Steve Ozark and there was always a contract. It was always, everything was legit with him. So, you know, like we could like, as much as I'm happy to, you know, like laugh at some of the failures that happened back then and whatever, that's not necessarily his fault. We weren't big enough to book anywhere, you know, <laughs> picker, right? He was on point. He was on point. And, you know, we had, um, he was nice. The funny thing about Steve is we stayed at his house one night. And I don't know if you ever had the, um, the pleasure of, of staying at Steve's house. Oh yeah. Yep. What is with the heat with that guy? <laughs> like, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like he would turn his house up to like 95 degrees inside or something like that. And we're just like, it's August in Lawrence, Kansas. What is happening? Like we, we would like, okay he's asleep go quick turn on the ac like what the you know and i see come out like shivering like, oh, it's 78 in here what's going on you know like and flip it back to like 109 degrees or whatever he'd like to you know he's a cozy sleeper apparently and i and but we were just like oh my god that was brutal i like woke up just drenched the next morning so kind of looks like a yeti too he's got the long hair and he's like at least as tall as me yeah i mean and then to his credit the you know as far as people going oh you have a booking agent i mean he was as diy as they come he was down in his basement where yep. he had his little booking set up down there yeah yeah and and he was and he was sending these bands around the country like faxing contracts back and forth and like really i mean walking these like 16 year old kids through these deals to like right, right. set up these shows Right. No, he's, I mean, in some respects, I kind of look, view him as like the underground music saint. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's, he's a great guy. He was honest. And that's hard to come by in, in the world of music. You know, and all these people that used to give a shit about that, whatever, they got booking agents like a year later and they did their own tours. And, and look who doesn't care now. You know what I mean? So whatever. We'll be the first and you can, um, but we'll be the last to laugh. So. 
We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. You mentioned animal rights being a topic, uh, a favorite topic of uh, Animal Chin. Yeah. yeah. What's a song do you feel like represented that topic well? Hmm. Uh, there's a song on um, 20 Minutes From Right Now called I think it's called Enough is Enough. Your guess is as good as mine. Adam, do you know? You seem to remember everything. So Yeah, Adam knows Animal Chin history. If you're going to bring up 20 minutes from right now, the only song that really sticks out to me. Thanks, Adam. This is great. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Link 80 used to cover Make No Mistake. After, oh, really? After Animal Chin broke up. Because we had this weird rule in the band that we couldn't cover a song by a band that still existed. So after you guys broke up, we were like, okay, this song's ours now. And we just started playing it live. I like that. Cool. I got, I just wrote this, I just wrote this new song yesterday and I call it yesterday and it's, uh, I think it's going to be a hit, but they're not around anymore. So we're, we're good. Right. I mean, it was, it was, you know, cause we were, you know, still pumped on you guys. Enough's enough is about, is about animal rights though. I'd never caught that. Let's hear that story. Oh, uh, I don't know if there's a story. I think it's just about animal rights. <laughs> At least I'm, I'm thinking it is. And there's a song on uh, All the Kids Agree um, called called Even If. And I think that's also about uh, about animal rights. But, you know, like, so, so uh, mind you, I kind of, this is something I've always done with uh, songwriting over the years where I... I sort of got it in my head that lyrics didn't have to be so top to bottom understandable and, and like story like, um, I, 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 and on sometimes I will even change subject matter in the middle of a song. Um, because I'm kind of like that as I'm talking anyway, you know, like as I'm talking to you, I will just jump from subject to subject. So my lyrics will sort of follow, <laughs> follow in step with that. Um, I, I know I got a lot more methodical as the years went on about what I was trying to deliver lyrically. Um, certainly nowadays, um, there was a point where, and maybe this, maybe this was exhibited in animal chin where I would like to, um, I want to fool you into thinking you're listening to something about a relationship between two people, but really what I'm talking about is this. And I guess, you know, the, the sort of the joke is on me in that, like, Maybe you never got that. So the, the intricacy and the cleverness of that endeavor was lost <laughs> on every single person except me. But I'm, again, I'm uh, my little audience of one, my brain, um, sometimes that's enough. You know what I mean? Like sometimes if I can amuse myself, I will, I might, I might spare no expense if I mean, if it means I might laugh at the end. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it is in, it, creatively speaking, you know what I mean? Um, so the, um, yeah, I don't know. So, and, and to be honest with you talking about the, the lyrics of that record, a record that I routinely actively do not listen to, um, <laughs> is tough because I know there's some, I know there's some stinker lines on there and, uh, because it, that's part of the reason I turn off the record when I hear it, I'm just like, Oh God, you know? Um, 
Yeah. So I, I want to talk about one of the way back to the uh, ins and outs of terrorism, heir to the ex fortune. <laughs> okay. What's going on in that breakdown? Who's sk- who's singing? What isn't going on in that song? <laughs> There's like a hundred things yeah. going on in that song, and they're all combating. It's the thing where when you write a song and you're like, well, but let's have this part in it and let's have this part in it and let's have this part in it. Yeah, everybody, everybody's invited. All who's, genres. Who's the know? vocalist that's doing that hardcore breakdown? That's Dave from the band Harvest. Uh, okay. Dave, um, David Walker is his name. Uh, and he was, you know, he graciously uh, contributed some vocals to us. Well, that song is really a mess of like of like of scenes and haircuts. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like we're trying to be no effects, but at the same time we're trying to be straight edge hardcore badly, and then back to like no effects. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's like uh, you, you know, and I got I got I, I kind of want to defend myself a little bit here. <laughs> like you have to remember, like while you're talking to me this many years later about a recording that is. Uh, I, I guess you're, you're sort of making the claim that this got some sort of level of integrity or maybe influence. It would be a better word. Um, this was like my first time singing on a record, you know, and it was like my first batch of songs that I ever shared with people in a rec- that I wrote. And I didn't know what I was doing guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, if you go back and think of the first thing that you did, it's not as good as this by a long shot. Well, <laughs> as much as I, okay, as much as I appreciate that, this is still my first thing. And it is still like my, okay, you know, you had, they say you got to write a hundred bad songs before you start writing good ones or something like that. Right. Um, I appreciate that these first six meant something, but at the same time, they're my first six. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. you're going to make these like really like egregious mistakes that, you know, that you're going to want to talk about 20 some years later on a podcast. It's so funny though, because you, <laughs> you, I mean, you, you, you know, cringe so much at, at, you know, you worry about your singing and stuff. And I've never taken any issue with your singing or your guitar playing on any of these, or even your songwriting. Like it's more, there's more like nuanced things like the hardcore breakdown in that song. Sure. But then also just like what's happening with the snare on the song seven. <laughs> oh, why does it ring so much? Is that what it, why, it, it sounds like? It's like five different pitches. Bing, boom, boom. So basically, you know how like I, 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 according to you guys, I am the the voice of Patrick Stump. Well, <laughs> that snare drum is, is the it snare is. drum from Saint Anger. This many years later, we went on to to inform that record snare drum. Lars heard that and was like, "That's what I need." Yeah, I was like, "That's I like a snare that sounds different every time I hit it." Um, <laughs> No, so it was basically a snare drum that was um, actually remember it was a Ludwig Acrylite um, snare drum five by fourteen five and a half by fourteen whatever, and it um, we tuned it kind of sky-y, you know what I mean? So it kind of so did real a high, maybe not even really high, but just ringy. Okay, and and for whatever you know thought du jour I had, I wanted to compress the living snot out of it. And it just rang and rang and rang and, and we just turned it up and it was, and we we're like, that's ska, that's a ska snare drum. I, again, just like the idea of like, let's put straight edge hardcore dude in the middle of this no effects song. Like 
when you ask yourself a question of like whether or not we should do something, when you're making that record, the answer was always, yeah, man, let's do it. You know, like it wasn't like, no, um, I'm an artist. That wasn't that, 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 that sort of pretentious, uh, bone (laughs) didn't, didn't congeal till later. You know what I mean? Now, now we're important. Now we have to be serious. Like, but back then it was like, cool, man, let's have a weird snare, you know? And it sounded, I think, I think the reason I, I kind of liked it, at least at that time, I was like, it sounded loud. It sounded like it was louder than a, another snare drum that was probably more sort of manicured. So it's just a dumb mistake. I w- if I were to mix it today, I would probably, you know, probably knock that out, <laughs> you know? I also want to talk about the back half of the song Top Contender, which I think is so good. Okay. And live was awesome. Do you remember what would happen live when you guys would play that song? Um, yeah, I mean, we uh, kind of feel like I couldn't get away from that song. Um, that was like this weird, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like a punk reggae kind of song. I think it's like a Fugazi sort of, type type feel. A little, little Fugazi, a little bit like us trying to be bad brains, maybe, you know, like uh, reignition, but with like a groovy bass kind of thing. And like, um, I, I, you know, it's fine. I like, I definitely love myself some Fugazi and love, uh, you know, bad brains, you know, did DC represent. Right. And, um, while this is sort of a poor man's version of that, um, yeah, that particular part of the song always seemed to kind of elicit, um, a really, really favorable response from the audience. You know, it's one thing I'm always like, sort of like proud of animal chin for is our shows were hectic and kind of chaotic, but like always pretty fun. Even if there was like not many people there, I feel like we could kind of like shake you and get, and get you to feel something and maybe even do something like, you know, I, and, and some of that is probably just naivete being young and being like, I want every show to be like this, like crazy mosh pit thing, you know? Um, and, and like, it didn't matter if there was eight people or 800 people, we were going to go for that result every time. And sometimes the audience would not understand how to accept that from us. And they would kind of just blankly look at us. And then I would get, you know, kind of like agitated and try to, and try to, you know, get a reaction of some kind. Again, being notorious is better than being, you know, ignored. Right. Um, but yeah, we used to, that and timeout always seemed to kind of like really, really get it going, you know? And so we'd always, as, as our, as our band would go on and on and on, um, I think we tried there was part of me that was leaning more towards sort of like more sort of song song type stuff. And then the other stuff that was always sort of like, we want to just elicit energy from what we're playing and what we're feeling and also what we're getting back from the audience. And I, I think that was the, and, and that's kind of the spirit of ska in some sense, right? Is like that when you hear ska, ska immediately feels like it's running. Like ska doesn't have like a walking tempo. For the most part, it's uh, Scott always feels like it's jogging or running somewhere, <laughs> you know, and that's why people like, you know, that's why, they, that's why it's like on every kid's show, because it's exciting sounding. It has like the, the walking bass and the upbeat guitar and the, you know, the four on the floor kick drum patterns or whatever it is that they're doing. All of that stuff always feels like energy. Um, and while we didn't always want to use that same trick in Animal Chin, we still like that sort of feeling of like, oh my God, we're, we're, I can't help but like sort of lean forward as I, as, as we play this and hear this. My main memory of that song is that you would, you would get, you would basically tutor the whole audience to 
so that they would know the like big the, the two words the big yeah. chant chant along and yeah. then we would do it one time and then it would break back down and you would chastise them for not doing it loud enough <laughs> um and then yeah. and then they would get it the second time but then the other thing that would happen is if i was in the audience you would you would make sure that i saw you and then you would stage dive on top of me during when once it got really hectic, yeah. basically because you knew that I wasn't going to drop you. You're like tall and strong enough to catch a, catch a guy of my size. You know what I mean? So there's not a lot of yeah. It's not there's not like a lot of people in the audience that are like, hey, here's a six foot man catch. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but you're like, what are you like six one hundred or something? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're six five, and you could probably you you're strong strapping man, and I'm like, eh, that guy would catch me. It'll be fine. Oh, I'm also holding a, a guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I just remember the first time you did it. I was just like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, yeah. But Catch. it was it was still great. Trust. <laughs> so then, okay, I want to talk a little bit about the stereo. So okay. you and Rory start a band. Everybody's super excited, at least within my circle, because it's Rory from The Impossibles yeah. and you from Animal Chin, mm-hmm. not ska at all. Yeah. But but it was at a time period where I feel like ska was becoming like a bad word. And so a lot of people were just ditching ska. Mm-hmm. Well, for the same reasons that, that animal chin was sort of running from it the whole time was like, you know, it, it was like a, um, to me, it like the way that it kind of unfolded. It's funny because I like, I love the selector and I love madness and I love the specials and I love operation Ivy and I love fishbone and, um, I love MVP 30 and, and there are these, and I even love some, you know, first wave Jamaican stuff. A lot of it actually, Jimmy Cliff. Right. But at least through the translation of my head, it became a limitation, right? If I always had to play this way during the verse of my songs, that's a limitation. And I, I didn't like the limitation. I wanted to kind of try some different things. I didn't, I didn't limit myself to only listen to ska music in the car. Why would I limit myself to only playing ska music on guitar? And yes, that rhymed. And I'm going to get a royalty from somewhere on that one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would like listen to like the cardigans. I would listen to chisel. I would listen to Fugazi. I would listen to avail. I would listen to Dolly Parton. I would listen to Boz Skaggs. I, I listened to everything. And I liked it all. And I didn't want to just be sort of con- like, now I have to go chicka, 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 chicka. You know, like that's not, that wasn't enough for me. And, you know, I wanted to, um, and I know Rory felt this way too. He wanted to kind of like exercise a slightly different set of uh, muscles, you know, musically. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like an, ent- an entirely like, I'm never going to do this again. And I hate every, I'm turning my back on everything that kind of made me what I am today. It was more just like a, um, a growth spurt, right? A, a, um, a graduation onto something else, you know, you don't, you don't, um, you just, I just wanted, I wanted a new ride, you know, I wanted to try something else. And, you know, this many years later, still kind of talking about it. Like I can't help but sort of have some pride in the fact that like what we did was, um, me, I, I, I mean, no, no better way to say it. Meaningful enough to talk to me this many years later about it. it do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so I, I do have like a tremendous amount of appreciation for 
you know, the torch carriers of animal chin, as it were. Um, cause I, like myself, you know, I don't, you don't ever look at your own sort of material as something that you carry a torch for, you know, um, uh, you're always wanting, you're always thinking your best song is your last song. Right. Um, and were, were any of the stereo songs, songs that you had tried with animal chin or was it all brand new material? These stereo songs were a little bit of a reaction to the looming demise of animal chin. We had just sort of come home from a tour that ended kind of acrimoniously between me and BJ. Um, and I was at this point where I'm just like, you know, I'm feeling quite a bit like I'm doing the lion's share of the heavy lifting for the band. And I'm getting a lot of, like, we all share in the credit when things go right, but we, we're kind of, but I'm getting, I, I'm getting all the blame when they don't. A little bit, you know, and I and 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 that sort of like uh, um, in concert with um, wanting this new change of sound and scene, you know, as it were. Uh, I got home from this tour and I I just with like a four track or not even a four track, I think I just wrote these songs in my head. I wrote like I I did this like eight to nine song demo that I. I wrote kind of just on guitar and I sort of had lyrics pieced together in my head. And, and then I went to the studio, the studio that we recorded 20 minutes from right now and the studio actually, and in the ins and outs of terrorism, 20 minutes from right now. And then the first stereo record all recorded at this one studio. But I went to that studio and just from memory, I sat down at a drum kit and I played the drum parts to these eight songs. I just kind of hummed along in my head what I thought the drum to the guitar part, right. And then played what I thought the drum parts would be to that song in my head. And then I would play it back and I would kind of with an, whatever guitar was sitting there, play along with it. Like, okay, that sounds good. That those drum parts will fit with these chords and whatever. And then if I didn't do something right, I'd go back. I didn't do it again. I, I, there was no, I had no reference track. I'd literally just played it all into my head. So sometimes I would get to a part and I would go one too long or one too short or something like that. And because I had lost count or something. But I did it like this. I just spent like a day. I recorded these these drum tracks. And then I came back like the next day and just started putting guitars and bass uh, uh, and and vocals. And I rec- and Devotion, She Would Never, were on that. And the first two songs on, uh, um, on the Stereos 300 record were from that session. Not that recording, but, that, but those songs were written. Um, there's probably something else in there. Count Me Out, I think, was on there too. So like three or four songs from that from that demo session became the stuff that I was contributing to the stereo record. And so as soon as I started doing that, there's, there was this cathartic sort of like, I can now see where I'm going to go next. And I shared this with John Janik uh, from Fueled by Ramen. And he was like, okay, so Rory's got some stuff and, or, you know, and, and I, I, my memory is that he was going to do a solo record of himself. And I wanted to do one too, but um, I've since sort of learned that Rory just wanted to do another band. I don't think he wanted to do a, uh, a solo record per se. But we, so we sort of almost at the um, at the insistence of our record label, we sort of did like this Hall and Oates band, you know, like a punk rock Hall and Oates. We're like this guy, that guy. We're gonna make a band, and and that's kind of where the name the Stereo came from. When we're doing talks about what are we gonna call this thing the left and the right channel. I'll be in the left channel. You'll be in the right channel together with the stereo, right? Like 
is symbolically sensible to what it is that we sort of were building upon. Um, but that's how that started. And yeah, is that, oh, you're asking if the animal chin songs, no, but they were sort of like, um, uh, they sort of came from that, um, sentiment of the band ending. There are, there are one, two, three songs, I think, uh, that never got recorded that animal chin did that were actually some pretty good songs um that i i have bizarre versions of maybe demos of those songs um just on my computer or whatnot but they never saw the light of day one was called keep talking another one was called surprise and and i can't, can't remember the name of the last one which is not good because i think i'm the <laughs> because i don't think i wrote it down so it's like if i don't know the name of it then i think it's lost to history but but uh, the song Surprise, I actually ended up re like demoing like three or four times over the years and was going to try to include it on either a stereo record or my solo record or something. Because I really do like that song, but it's kind of just never sort of come into its own. Um, and there was l one last recording session that Animal Chin did where we recorded these songs. And I have them here somewhere on some tape. Um, where we never finished it. We just sort of like did the main basic tracks to it. And then it kind of just, it just didn't, nothing ever happened from it. Um, which I, I probably, I'm not going to get to that this year. I got, I can only do you know, <laughs> so many. So I can only handle so many 20 year old recordings, you know, per year. With the stereo, there was um, a podcast about the stereo. And I don't know if you want to talk about this now, but that there's another one coming up as well. Right. Um, a, a second podcast about the stereo. I don't know about that one. I know the one, I well, they got this. Adam said this, right? Am I, am I misunderstanding? Um, possibly slightly. Like so. Okay, so Stereo actually has a brand new record done. Okay, totally mastered. Everything's ready to go. But the world is sort of like in a zombie apocalypse right now, and it's making things sort of difficult to figure out how to release a record like in any sort of sensible way, other than just like dumping it out there and going, "Hey, everybody, we got a record." You know, so kind of. We're sort of trying to not necessarily just like do that. We'd like to sort of release it in a way that's that we think is sort of favorable to getting the most attention around it. And one of the ways of doing that, this wasn't by design, but kind of by chance is so, you know, Rory came back to the band back in 2011. The band had at this point been disbanded since 2003, 2004, or something like that. Again, <laughs> uh, Fuel by Ramen asked us to join forces to play this show. And so we did. We played this show, big show in New York, um, reunited, and we had just this fantastic time doing it. And this lineup of the band, which is me, Rory, you know, Rory's an original member, uh, Chris Serafini, which is who I consider an original member, but was kind of like played more shows as the bassist in the stereo than any other bassist in the stereo ever did, but was only yeah. on the last record that makes any sense to you you know uh -huh. um and he's like my my bass bro for life right so i'm just like not gonna do a band without chris right and then our good friend sam was actually from minnesota <laughs> so there's some lineage there and he's exactly one day older than me he's my brother from another mother uh and this lineup has actually been now together as the stereo longer than the stereo was ever together before <laughs> which is really funny <laughs> the problem is we've only played like six shows <laughs> you know and the joke is that we we're on the slowest tour of all time <laughs> um, because none of our shows are like in town, right? They're always like, we're playing Chicago, we're playing Florida, we're playing New York. You know, it's like, you know, next will be like LA or something, you know, and, and, and it's just wild. 
anyway, so we make this record, and part of the part of the the journey in making the record was um, Rory decides that he wants to do a podcast about the stereo because he thinks there's kind of an interesting story here, right? From the premise that Rory was started this band with me and then got kicked out. And then he comes back to the band later, but there's this whole part in the middle which he only sort of heard rumors about. And so the podcast is almost like this sort of documentary, in a sense, to uncover for himself the story of the stereo because he's heard this, but what really happened? And what really happened in the stereo was that there was this band that had all the potential for becoming this huge band, right? Uh, we had all the parts kind of in place and all the p- potential opportunities and the people that needed to know about us, knew about us, and were coming to shows and asking us to send demos and all this stuff. And we would get into rooms with people that we shouldn't be in rooms with, you know, like, and and have, uh, you know, have, have the favorable ear of these, like, kind of whatever people. And why didn't it work? What happened, right? And so it's just sort of like a, it's not a, the podcast is absolutely not a sort of congratulatory con- congratulatory slap on the back that a lot of these things tend to be. You know, there's the, there's the hero's journey of such and such band. Or this is not that. I, I don't know if you guys have seen the Anvil, the movie about Anvil. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the most fantastic films about a about a band that's ever been made because it is the most honest, and it's a and it's a story about a band that like was extremely well regarded by their peers, but like didn't connect in any sort of meaningful long-term way. And it shows them struggling to continue. It shows them struggling to like, just do the business of, of getting paid in Europe and, and all the things that they have to go through to make a record and all these things. And like people that say they believe in them, but they don't, you know, it's a really sad story about, you know, these guys that are just, they're just not going to give up because they love what they do, but nobody seems to care. You know, and so the stereo story is a little bit like that, you know, like um, we had all these like funny. And it's funny now, but they weren't funny then, but like things that would just drop out on us that, you know, like, oh, such and such is going to, you know, be there tonight and sign your band. And like the deal is all worked out. They just need to see you play. Great. Cool. And he's actually going to fly up from, you know, private whatever from New York to see you guys in Boston. Great. And we go to extreme lengths to like, you know, lower the ticket price and, and, and bring in a beer sponsor to give away free beer. So the audience is just all greased up and everything. And then the New York blackout happened like, right. Like that day. And now LaGuardia was shut down and that guy can't get to the show. And then, and then it was the year of Napster. So then a spending freeze happens from the big parent company, BMG. And now that, that the label's hands are tied and they can't do the deal anymore. You know what I mean? Just like these things that you're just like, are you joking? Like in order for for the stereo to not get a record deal, the whole East Coast had to be to have their power knocked out. Like that, like it almost seems as ridiculous as that, you know, at time and time again. And there are these, you know, there's a lot of sort of he said, she said stuff that happens in the podcast, and we leave it in. We let we let everybody kind of goes. I, I make the joke that everybody goes under the bus a little bit, you know, and and like I go under the bus. I I don't I don't look as good as you would like as you would want yourself to look at times, I, you know, and I, I admit to my failures and I, Rory and I have kind of a heart to heart in episode two. We talk about how we kicked him out of the band and, and how it made us, you know, like, it's like, it's like kind of like 
intense. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Like, yeah. Um, and it, it, it's a, it's real people talking about a real thing. And regardless if whether or not you like the band or not, I think if you're like a musician or a magician, maybe, um, <laughs> sorry, a musician, I realized I said musician funny. So I decided to make a joke. Uh, if you're a musician, <laughs> I think you'll actually sort of get something out of this because it, it isn't just like the story of like this such and such punk, punk rock band that did these things and wrote these songs and yay for them. It's not that. It's like kids trying to make it in the music world. Kids trying to get out on tour and and like manage the weird like relationship things that happen between bands on the road, right? Not between other bands, but in your own band, in the big white box on wheels, right? Like there's a story to be told about how to get along with people and how not to get along with people. And I think it's fascinating. I can kind of, t we've all listened to it now. It's in a, a, a pretty finalized form at this point. And we've all listened to it and we're all like, wow, I can kind of take myself out of this for a moment. And it, this sounds like this is a really fascinating, I, I keep wanting to know what's going to happen next even though we were there living it. But even like stuff between me and Chris, you know, he was like at my side when these stories were happening, right? He's like standing next to me. He'll have differences of like, that's not what happened. It's happened this way. And so it's actually, there's a lot of humor in that like, nope, didn't happen like that. Like that guy's, I don't know what he was. I don't know where he was. He was looking the other direction because this is what was said. It's not, you know, and so there's, it's fun. It's like, and, and Rory is such a good storyteller and and he figured out a really great way to kind of make us all like human, but at the same time respect us while making us showing our, our, uh, our um, disagreements and some of maybe some of our, like our lesser favorable moments in a way that's true, but like also sort of like kind of fun to listen to. So, so is this, this podcast isn't, is it out already or no, it's not out. We're sort of, like I said, we're trying to release it at the same time. So it's, it becomes like, this is like the promotional vehicle, you know, if you want to be like that way about it. But, um, you know what happened though? What the, the story of the stereo, the stereo, what, um, the curse that you guys faced, you abandoned ska. <laughs> that was it. All these mysterious forces were working against you. I actually think, had we just not got the booking agent, like they said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at In Defense of Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarnes.substack.com. You will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. 
And on that note, we leave you by saying, Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.